0: With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the privacy Professor. We're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold.
1: Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 75th episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, TuneIn, CastBox, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. And also, I want to give a big thank you To all my now 114,000 plus listeners throughout the world, I truly do appreciate you. My May Privacy Professor Tips message was published at the end of April. Please sign up for them. I've provided them for free since 2007, and I do it to help increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues, but also to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to send to their employees. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. So today, I'm doing the next in a series of shows that I've been doing over the past two years on a very critical data security topic, encryption. And I am thrilled to be bringing back today an encryption expert who I first spoke with about encryption in July of 2018, Dr. Jean Spafford. So please listen into that show after you listen to this one, because Dr. Spafford provided some really important encryption basics and reasons why weakening encryption is not a very good idea back in that 2018 show. So listen to that after you listen to us today. In the 2 years since that show, the efforts have increased dramatically by the US federal government, particularly from the Attorney General's office and law enforcement, to be uh, quite frank, to compel tech providers um, into putting some type of access into encryption technologies to allow them access to get to encrypted data or get access to encrypted transmissions if they think they need it. Now these increased efforts to break into encrypted files And transmissions have also been being pursued in many other countries as well. It really is a worldwide um, attempt going on. So today I'm going to talk with Dr. Gene Spafford about those efforts, and he will uh, also present some other views about encryption beyond what I view as these other, quite frankly, um, demonstrably narrow views about encryption that are being, you know, really pursued to force all types of organizations and the general public to use weakened encryption solutions. So, first, I want to give you some background on Dr. Eugene Spafford. So, Jean is a professor of computer sciences at Purdue University. He is also the founder and executive director emeritus of the Center for Education and Research in Information Assurance and Security. Professor Spafford has been working in computing as a student, as a researcher, consultant, and professor For over 40 years, Dr. Spafford is a fellow of the AAAS, the ACM, IEEE, ISC Squared, a distinguished fellow of the ISSA, and a member of the Cybersecurity Hall of Fame. He's the only person to ever hold all of those distinctions. And you can see more about Dr. Spafford in his bio that's posted along with this show at my Voice America page. Gene, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome back to my show.
2: It's wonderful to be talking with you again, Rebecca, and congratulations on 75 shows.
1: Thank you. Yeah, 75. It's uh, amazing how quickly the time flies. So today, the, the topic is so important, and I've been worried about encryption for so very long, I mean, there have been an incredibly large amount of negative statements made about strong encryption by those who really seem to be viewing strong encryption as as only an impediment to their efforts in catching online criminals. And it seems like they never talk about or address why strong encryption is needed to prevent You know, these tens of thousands of breaches that are occurring and keep increasing each year and increasing surveillance efforts by many types of entities uh, that strong encryption really could help to prevent. And I believe someone in the tech sector, you know, when we think about people wanting to catch criminals and pedophiles and those who are doing just horrible things, online. I don't know a single person in the tech sector who says, oh, that's okay. You know, let them do that. We don't worry about that. I believe every person in the tech sector truly does want to catch these online pedophiles and cyber criminals. But it seems like certain groups keep making these claims that the tech sector cares more about money than uh, catching criminals. And I wondered, I like to watch some of these um, hearings that take place in Washington, D.C., and back on October 4th in 2019, just last year, the, the U.S. Department of Justice had what they called the Lawful Access Summit in Washington, D.C., and um, for those of you listening, if you want to see that, it's at the full recording. It's a little over four hours. You can go to C-SPAN, c-span.org, and do a search for that, and you'll find it there. But it really seemed like it was focused on demonizing strong encryption. And what really disappointed me was there were no encryption experts or other types of technology experts who testified or provide any tech facts. In fact... It was uh, primarily the Department of Justice, the law enforcement, and lawyers. And I want to give you, before I, I ask you my first question here, uh, you know, Attorney General William Barr, he was this, the featured speaker, and one of his opening remarks was this, and this is a quote, it's well past time for some in the tech community to abandon the indefensible posture that a technical solution is not worth exploring and instead turn their considerable talent and ingenuity to developing products that will reconcile good cybersecurity to the imperative of public safety and national security, end quote. So I'm wondering, you know, if you had the chance to respond directly to uh, Attorney General Barr about that statement, I mean, what would you say to him?
2: Um, well, it's hard to tell even where to begin, but I, <laughs> I think part of it is, it, it isn't that we're saying it's not worth pursuing. It's, it's not technically feasible. And unfortunately, when that argument is made, political uh, leadership and some in law enforcement don't seem to understand what that means. They seem to think that if they pass a law, then it will suddenly be possible, but it's not. It It's a matter of science uh, as to really what we can do and what we can't, uh, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. It's also the case, and I think it's important to note, uh, not everyone in law enforcement has this view. It It's only some, mm-hmm. and in fact, talking to people who work in... Uh, intelligence agencies, military agencies uh, in the U.S., uh, they all pretty much uniformly say, oh, no, it would be a terrible idea to do what the folks in law enforcement want. But for political reasons, they're not allowed to communicate that Mm. uh, to other agencies. And so as a result, I I think um, we have several people in political leadership uh, some in law enforcement, some in legislative areas who uh, don 't understand the technology uh, don 't seem to understand enough about how technology works and as as you note, they do not invite technologists and people who understand uh, to come to talk at the same events mm-hmm. and as a result, uh, they continue to make points that we don't get a chance to respond to. Um, and, and it creates a false impression about uh, what those of us who work in the field really want to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, especially when they say, when they actually come right out and say that we don't care, or we only, you know, techn- the tech industry only cares about money. I mean, um and i guess too i it just baffles me i mean when they equate strong encryption with supporting pedophiles and criminals um like on just uh, earlier in in april why there were many news outlets that were reporting about the sentencing of a man in the united kingdom who the national crime agency there Uh, described as possibly the provider of the worst child abuse content that the uh, NCA investigators had ever seen. And I hear that and I'm like, that's, you know, I would love to be able to catch him. I mean, they caught him, but it would have been nice to catch him earlier. But, you know, every report about this included that the criminal sold access by using his encrypted messaging app. So it seemed like maybe the reporters were kind of skewing it like encryption was a bad thing, too, to maybe build up, um, I don't know, maybe because that's what they're being told by the lawmakers. But it just really seems like these cries for outlawing encryption or making encryption breakable, uh, soon followed, and I know you know when you mentioned earlier. I love that point you made that just because you make a law that <laughs> that you must make <laughs> encryption accessible uh, to only a few people doesn't mean that you can technically do that. But um, I, you I know, would what- I, I would say to
2: actually to uh, uh, Mr. Barr,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: that he's taking a position that's in favor of torturing and killing political dissidents, and religious dissidents around the world. Because mm-hmm. that's what allowing weak encryption does. When law enforcement, uh, you know, using that general term, mm-hmm. is going to request access, uh, they can compel any company working in their jurisdiction to comply, and they don't have to say why. We have countries where there are regimes that regularly want to find anyone who disagrees with the leadership, throws them in jail, tortures them, may kill them, tortures or kills members of their family. We know that happens in the world. That's Mm -hmm. a regular occurrence in some places. For us to say that only U.S. law matters is to be ignorant of the fact that most of these companies have a global market, and are subject to laws in all those jurisdictions. So, I, 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 you know, there's a there's a problem there, first of all, with that kind of posturing that he has. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, they managed to catch and prosecute a, a majority of these people for using other methods. Uh, so, it's not like we're ignoring it, it's not like we want it to happen, that anybody gets away. But, it's not that we can just have encryption for uh, that's breakable only for uh, pornographers or or people committing crimes in the in the us it has mm-hmm. to be uniform for everyone
1: well and plus it seems like they don't realize and they never i mean I've actually written um, a letter to uh, to the Department of Justice about this. And I think, you know, probably you have, too, and a lot of those groups you belong to have. But, you know, I always ask, you know, well, it, there's encryption. There's strong encryption available throughout the world. I mean, aren't the criminals just going to go and use strong encryption from some other source if they can't use the, you know, strong encryption for what they're doing now? Um It just seems like they're not even considering that at all. Well, there is a convenience factor. And Mm -hmm. what
2: will happen is some of the better educated or or better connected criminals will use their own encryption. Um, In fact, some of the worst ones will. And what that means then is that the people who don't have the knowledge um, are going to be prey to... Criminals to governments that uh, may wish to harm them and and otherwise, it's you know maybe maybe it's because I can see how these things are deployed and used over time that I don't see there's a big difference between saying uh, oh we want to be able to break your encryption because you might be sending bad content to you saying oh we ought to be able to put video cameras in every room of your home because you might be breaking the law there. Mm-hmm. You might be a terrorist or you might be uh, counterfeiting or yeah, you know, whatever the, the current offense is. We won't turn it on except when we get a warrant. Um, that's still not something I'm going to want or be- I'd still believe it's a huge invasion of privacy.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: we... We really need to uh, look at the overall case of what are all the places where it's used in business and in government. I mean, our own government is regularly penetrated and stuff is stolen because mm-hmm. they're not using good encryption um that it's this is going to be a trade off and mm-hmm. part of it is. If they were to approach the tech community and say, "Can you provide us better mechanisms of finding these these people?" Um, You know, we'd be happy to do that. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter we're trying to help them hide. It's a matter of we're actually trying to protect a wider range of interests.
1: Well, yeah, and you know, talking about that, it amazes me that. that they don't consider more use of the metadata because even though they might not be able to get to the content of a file that's encrypted or a transmission to see what the actual uh, information is that's being transmitted, there's a lot of metadata there that seems like it would provide a lot of information that would be very valuable to the investigators, wouldn't it?
2: Indeed, there is uh, traffic analysis,
1: mm-hmm. and there are mechanisms.
2: Um, I, I'm basically some of the research that I did about 30 years ago started the the, the field of software forensics, mm. and so I'm I've been working with law enforcement for for three decades, um, and they have methods. They're able to catch an awful lot of these people, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. discuss them, mm-hmm. uh, but. It's not that they're helpless or powerless; they could use more tools. they could definitely use more training uh and there there are there are other avenues as you say, other sources of data that can be very helpful in identifying and not just pornographers but criminals of all sorts
1: mm-hmm.
2: that, oh yeah, yeah, human trafficking in general and um of which. Now this is this touches on that, but um actual human trafficking slavery is is being practiced in a number of countries around the world sometimes silently uh but mm. it it's it 's just horrible behavior um, We need to do a better job stopping that, for instance
1: mhm um, well and and it seems like like you said there's other ways that they can do it it's what maybe hundreds of years old, how people would infiltrate those groups and actually, you know, be an insider, kind of being able to uh, communicate out to those, trying to to figure out who the the criminals are and what they're doing. Um, Yes.
2: Yeah, I have several colleagues who um, are actually working with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and some state law enforcement agencies That are using things like uh, image recognition and geolocation to identify where some of the some of the child pornography is being conducted. They're doing visual recognition, facial recognition, uh, along with pictures of missing children to try to do matchups. They're doing some really interesting computer aided work that is helping investigators. Mm -hmm. It, It can't be said that as a community we're Placing profits ahead of doing the right thing because that's that's clearly not true. That's mm-hmm. um, uh, a little bit of hyperbole, I think. At least I hope. If he actually thinks that, I'm 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 terribly disturbed. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen uh, Attorney General Barr say a number of things that are not consistent with reality um, in recent years. So. Um, I, I'm hoping this is just part of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, but you know it. it it's very interesting too um, when they are, you know, trying to now have a bipartisan bill. And I guess I'm kind of been surprised at some of the lawmakers who have been joining forces to say, you know, the tech world is is bad and self-centered and they don't want to have this. So in uh, March uh, March 5th of this year, 2020, there was actually a bipartisan bill uh, that was introduced that is S9938. And so those of you listening, you can do a search for that and find the actual um, content of it to see how it it is written. But the long name is Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies Act of 2019. Uh, um, it's interesting. It has 2019 on there. but uh, Or the EARNIT Act for short. And basically, the goal of that was to establish a national commission on online child sexual exploitation prevention. So that's definitely noble. But, I, you know, before we go to break here in a few minutes, I'm wondering, did you have a chance to read through that? Or maybe you've heard about it, um, but it, it just seems like some of the, many of the requirements for that commission is tilting towards uh, a likely prohibition or attempt to prohibit strong encryption.
2: Yeah, uh, 20 years ago, there was a a commission that was impaneled by Congress, Um, the national academies and everybody on board was cleared uh, to actually access uh, criminal records and national intelligence records to see just how much encryption was actually hurting at the time they were worried about uh, drug trafficking and child pornography. Those were the big things back then. Mm -hmm. And they found that law enforcement wasn't hindered at all by uh, strong encryption, and so this case uh, is not to investigate. it's uh, they're just going to go ahead and and have a commission that has no technology experts on it, um, mm-hmm. and very heavily tilted in one direction. and I think it's it's a terrible idea. And unfortunately, many of our legislators do not have the technical sophistication. Uh, to understand,
1: mm-hmm.
2: they certainly don't want to make a vote against something that looks like it's going to combat child pornography. So there, there is a political aspect to this that's being leveraged by those who are pushing it. Mm. Uh, but it is, it is unfortunate because without actually knowing whether it really is a problem, uh, by actually studying data... They may come to recommendations that are going to actually be harmful in the long run.
1: Yes, definitely. Well, we're coming up on a break here. So I want to to uh, start, you know, pick up our conversation there when we uh, come back. But right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm speaking today with computer and data security expert, Dr. Gene Spafford about uh, efforts to weaken, encryption tools. I'm your host Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as provide some show topic suggestions using my email Harold at com, and also through my privacyguidance.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors.
0: The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold & Associates offers information security products, privacy and compliance tools, education and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at leadershipforuminc.com.
2: We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices.
0: Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google.
2: Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work.
0: You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor.
1: Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's business channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with computer and data security expert Dr. Gene Spafford about encryption. So, before we went to the break, we had started talking about uh, this bill that had been introduced. It's called the EARN IT Act for short. And basically, the bill would establish a commission that would quote, develop recommended best practices that providers of interactive computer services may choose to implement to prevent, reduce, and respond to the online sexual exploitation of children, including the enticement, grooming, sex trafficking, and sexual abuse of children, and the proliferation of online child sexual abuse material. And it It's uh, trying to – well, it would establish a 19-member commission, three of which would be the Attorney General, Secretary of Homeland Security, Chairman of the FTC, or whoever they want to be the representatives, and then the remaining 16 would be appointed by the Senate. However, none of the qualifications um, to be a member is being an encryption technology expert. I mean, they did indicate that two – would have to have, quote, current experience in computer science or software engineering related to cryptography, data security, or artificial intelligence in a non-governmental capacity. So, um, Dr. Spafford, what are your thoughts about the qualifications for these commission members and also, you know, what its goal was as they stated it?
2: Well, uh it seems like it's heavily weighted towards a conclusion mm-hmm. uh, again, we started the conversation by saying some of these people believe if they legislate something, it makes it so, despite what science and mathematics um, says to the to the opposite uh, by not having technology uh, technologists or scientists on the commission means that. There won't be anyone to really give them a check or feedback on actually what is possible to do and what the implications are of what they uh, suggest. The commission's charge also i mean we would we would look at that and we say, well, that's something that we all want to be in favor of, but they're talking about putting up potentially regulations or standards mm-hmm. on. Um, data communications and information provision services, but those same services are the ones that uh, carry our business mail, our credit records, our our purchase records, our uh, trade secrets back and forth, and lots of other data that we would want to keep from prying eyes uh, in not only other countries, but this one as well. So if they were to come up with a solution for for this narrow topic that they believe should be implemented, but without appropriate consideration of the wider context in, in which communications and data storage occur, uh, it could be disastrous.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, in the sense of not only could it set up regulations... That could hurt organizations, business, government, and individuals um, in the US and other countries, but it could actually cause some businesses to pull out of the US market. Mm. And that certainly wouldn't be a good thing.
1: Definitely not. And you know, what the groups that are promoting this, I never hear them talk about the impacts like you just did the negative impacts if you have weak encryption that people can break um, and I don't see that that would be discussed I mean what has been your experience or have you had experience you know is there a way to kind of try to get their attention or to make them listen to um, to these important facts? Uh, about technology, I mean, I would think that probably, you know, Google and, and IBM and, and all the others, Microsoft, have probably been trying to explain these things. But it just seems like the, that it doesn't get through.
2: No, it doesn't. And I think it's because uh, there may be some other agenda or, or political reasons why this is being attempted. And I don't really understand what those might be. Uh, the uh, Some of the conversations I've had with um, some people in the Department of Justice uh, about this topic uh, privately they think it's a ridiculous uh, it's a, a ridiculous kind of uh, approach that's being taken, but this is the approach at the top for whatever reason and Uh, When I further uh, push on this, they say that the, the goal of the people who are pushing this is simply to stop this particular crime. And all those other things that we're talking about, they don't care about those. In fact, if there are other lawbreakers, they'll arrest them too. And they don't care about anything that happens outside the U.S. borders or that impacts on the economy. Their only mission is for the law enforcement aspect. And, and that's a terribly narrow mm-hmm. view of the world, and that's what's leading to part of this problem.
1: Yeah, we're a digital world now, and it it's just so weird. I mean, we have a very short memory. I, when I say we, I mean the general public, um, especially lawmakers, because like you mentioned Twenty-five years ago, uh, you did you did call it the Clipper Chip, but I'm assuming that's probably what you were talking about the, the Clipper Chip initiative, where again they tried to have you know some sort of encryption that the government could kind of break. And wasn't that broken like really quickly when it was re- released?
2: Um, yeah. Well, it turns out the implementation they had was was broken. Uh, mm-hmm. But furthermore. Uh, it was shown how you could use additional encryption on top of it mm-hmm. that couldn't be detected until they tried to break it. Um, and if they complained about it, then you knew that they were trying to get in. so it was it it just didn't work. Uh, again, it was designed by people who didn't understand the technology very well or mandated by people who didn't understand the technology. and it it uh, just turned out to be. A fiasco. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, well, and we're here we are 25 years later, uh, deja vu all over again. (laughs) Right. So, uh, you know, it it just amazes me, I'm getting messages from people who are actually, uh, you know, in the privacy world, and in the security world, and I don't know. It, it's they're sending me messages saying such things as I'm seeking like minded groups of citizens who want to put kids first and help us prevent Facebook's plan to into it, to implement end to end uh, to end-to-end encryption on all Facebook messenger content communications. And, and I have several other types of emails like that, but, uh, they even include these photos, these horrible photos and, and gut-wrenching photos of the children, you know, that we, they want us to save, which, of course, it, it's pulling on our heartstrings. But I don't know. Does it amaze you when you see people from the actual information security or the privacy industry who are pushing for this as well?
2: It. It is a little surprising, but again, it may be a matter of uh, perspective. Uh, The Mm -hmm. part of it may be that they were approached in the same way, and that was a quick response about, well, yeah, this is horrible. We need to do something. Um, I I think if you were to have a a picture of some, uh, and I'm not going to pick a country uh, because Mm -hmm. I know you have an international listenership, but. Uh, a picture of um, political or ethnic violence where people have been killed because they've been identified as in opposition to the current regime, mm. um, and were to send that back and say, "Oh, you're in favor of this," then um, you know that that might provoke some interesting. Um, <laughs> they, they might stop send, sending you email but it might yeah. also provoke some interesting discussion because it, these are technologies that don't have a single use. It's not saying that they only are used for child pornography. They are used for business. They are used to protect uh, speech by people who otherwise might be uh, tortured or harmed. Uh, they, they protect individuals who don't want family Um, Abusive spouses seeing their conversations, for example.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Many, many uses that far outweigh the number of uh, cases of uh, child victimization that actually occur.
1: Well, I know that a lot of people are concerned about more intrusive surveillance anyway. I mean, we already have so many different types of surveillance today than we had just five years ago, Um, and now uh, with this horrible COVID-19 that we're dealing with, of course, we need to figure out, we have to figure out where infections are to help address it, but on the other hand, a lot of people worry that once these types of tracking get implemented, that they won't uh, you know, be expired, that we'll just be having that surveillance. So I guess I've heard some people worry that if encryption then kind of starts being pushed as a way to uh, also address COVID tracking or uh, other types of things, that we're going to get to a point of no return. I mean, what do you think we need to do to be able to prevent us from getting to a point where it's just uh, too much surveillance and, and weak encryption? Well, we may have already passed
2: the too much surveillance uh, point. Uh, some of the discussion on the COVID-19 tracking that's gone on um, has come down to, uh, for instance, whether it's a centralized service where the data is actually held or controlled and matched to identities by either a company or a government or whether it's a decentralized mechanism and there the uh, the mechanism that Apple and Google together have come up with is decentralized, so mm-hmm. there won't be a central database and that's that's been developed by cryptographers mm-hmm. uh, as a means of making sure that it, This kind of tracking can't be easily abused. I I think that uh, part of this is defining what the problem is that we want to solve. Mm -hmm. And looking at the larger context, computing and communication is global. Uh, It is certainly administered locally, but it has global uses and global implications. And if we're going to look at decisions that are made for tools or technologies, we should think in the broader context of what are all the ways it's being used and where could it be used or misused? And think about the privacy and the safety of those, those determinations. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been done as well as perhaps we could do it, but enough people are beginning to look at this to... Um, to raise it as an issue you have been for years. And, and I think we need to get more of the, uh, the, the average people who use these systems aware. Uh, they're already concerned about their privacy. This is an issue that they should be concerned about as well, that one set of special interests doesn't
1: hijack the
2: protections that are available to them.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a very good point. And that's a very good way to put it. You know, talking about what we currently have capable, what has really surprised me is that we have not talked about how HIPAA, which has been in effect for 20 years now almost, has already forced the hospitals to create security and privacy within their systems and to be able to de-identify data and to be able to put together aggregated data that is de-identified. And it just seems to me like, like you were saying, decentralization. Hospitals already have to do things for their repositories of data and know how to send them out through secure methods uh, and de-identify them. It just seems like they should be Making better use of that current requirement that's already been in place for so long, instead of trying to figure out additional things. Um, and I think maybe Google and Apple is probably that's part of what they're maybe utilizing, maybe or maybe not. But um, it's it's
2: also uh, the case that. Uh, right now, in the US, people are being asked to complete their census forms. and mm. I would en- I would encourage all your listeners who are in the US, who haven't done so yet to uh, to do so. it's It's quick, it's simple. And the information is very highly protected. It's some of the most protected information the government has. And they're using a method that was designed by cryptographers, differential privacy, to guard the results so that no one is going to be able to trace it back to households Mm. when that information is finally collected. It's an example of where good technology and good cryptography and privacy protection all intersect in the public interest. But it's something that has to be a priority, and the census Mm -hmm. has had privacy and security of their data
1: as a priority uh, as long as the census bureau has been around, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, and that's so important. And and I, to be honest, I need to get mine filled out too. So <laughs> uh, because I've I've been waiting, I've been wanting to see what the questions were before I actually answer them. Uh, but talking about technologies, you know, I'm I'm based here in Iowa, and our uh, Iowa governor just released and announced yesterday or announced I guess it's back in in April towards the last half of April about this new testiowa.com site to track uh, statewide our testing, which I think is a really good goal. But like you said, the the technology it, it's something completely new and as I was looking at the website, um, I had concerns because some of the questions, do not seem necessary to do you know, tracking of where people are infected like it's asking for birth dates. And I'm thinking, why do they need birth dates? Uh, a general age might be good enough for that purpose. We don't need to know the exact date that somebody was born, I don't think. Right. That, um, that kind
2: of uh, over-collection of detail allows combination with other uh, databases to specifically identify and target individuals, Mm -hmm. as you know. And that's something that we really should work against. Uh, The overcollection of information is a problem, whether it's done commercially or by government. And it is one of the things that, as a population, people should be aware of and work to push back against
1: hmm Yeah. Right, right right to their uh their lawmakers. You know, um one thing that I had uh, someone send me an email who listens to my show. Um he said, Well, how does five G impact uh the calls for breakable encryption. Uh, I'm reading an excerpt from his message, but he's saying some are saying that 5G will be a hacker's paradise, while others claim 5G's supportive 256-bit encryption will make it impossible to break encryption. Have you looked into that particular issue? I
2: I have a little bit. uh, 5G as a protocol is well-designed and has strong encryption and even has better protection than 4G or the things we use now for guarding your identity and location. Mm -hmm. The issue that is of concern is the programming of the switches and the boxes and the backbone of the communications network that uses the protocol. Uh, And this is where the concern has come in in several countries over uh, some of the companies providing the equipment don't have a good track record of writing secure software and may have ties to their national intelligence agencies. Mm. And so it isn't the protocol that's the problem. It's because the protocol is the -the over-the-air part. It's when it gets into the computers that are connected to the hardwired networks that's where the concerns lie.
1: Yes. Well, and you know, that's a good point. We have a lot, I have a lot of uh, listeners who are in college and even high school. And uh, I think that's a, a, a great way to to emphasize that you have to look at the entire ecosystem um, whenever you're considering security. I mean, when you're just thinking about the 5G portion of the transmissions, you know, you can't just say that it's secure because of that, just like you pointed out. There's the back end uh, issues that have to do with the code, the access to the, the computer systems themselves and everything else that can defeat uh, some of the strongest protections if, you know, you have a, a weak point in any part of that ecosystem. Yeah, uh,
2: you could say that our interstate highway system is incredibly safe from uh, criminals holding people up and and stealing things from them, but that doesn't necessarily say anything about the parking lots or the uh, the exit ramps uh, after they get off the interstates.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: we have to step back and look at the end-to-end, uh, is the term we use, of The communications and all of the components and having one part as extremely strong and another being weak, whether it's because the code was done by somebody incompetent, it was compromised by a national intelligence agency, or it uses weak encryption. Whatever the reason, a weak component makes the whole chain uh, weaker, and that's where we should be concerned.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think something I've been seeing a lot of, too, and again, this is for some of my students uh, listening out there in colleges and, and high schools, this uh, separation of duties I see has often uh, led to some very huge exploits. And, you know, it, when you get to encryption, just imagine the uh, encryption keys if you have someone who is in a position <laughs> to um, – be able to access uh, all the encryption keys in the way uh, and the way that the encryption is implemented there's some some pretty big breaches that could occur there
2: well when for instance the government lost the huge opm database which included mm. all of the personal details including of people in law enforcement and with security clearances one of the one of the highly protected systems and where we regularly see national intelligence data stolen, the idea that we could somehow protect keys or protect weak encrypted information uh, from being taken by uh, criminals or by people who shouldn't have it it is just nonsense. Uh, we haven't been able to show that we can protect any of what we have, uh, let alone something that would be incredibly attractive for someone to
1: steal yes. <laughs> Well, you know, we're already coming to the end of our hour here, but, you know, I guess in the, the last uh, couple of minutes, I wonder what is the primary point you want our listeners to take away from listening to our discussion today about either encryption in general or the current initiatives to weaken encryption? Well, um,
2: I, I, I think the first thing is the idea that those of us who work in the tech industry uh, aren't interested in uh, protecting children or in stopping crime? Uh, that's that's untrue. Uh, we do care about that. but we also care about stopping other abuses that a lack of privacy or a lack of good security might cause. and that includes the ability for someone to have uh, particular religious or political thoughts or communicate with. With others of their choice. And as a result, the the, the real issue that we want to have is how do we protect the, the broad number of, of people against many different kinds of dangers? And weakening it for one is going to weaken it for all.
1: Mm. That's a very good point. Weakening encryption for one reason is going to weaken it for all reasons. I like that a lot. So, Well, thank you so much for being my guest again today. Um, I sure appreciate it, um, and I hope you come back on again sometime, maybe when we have other things going on with encryption. <laughs> I would be happy to return. <laughs> Wonderful. So today I've been speaking with computer security experts. Dr. Gene Spafford, and we've been talking about increased efforts to weaken encryption tools in addition to some other types of encryption um, issues and uh, factors. So send some feedback about this show. What would you like to hear about? Uh, What did you particularly like about this topic that we talked about today? Just let me know. You can send me an email to RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. I welcome all the messages that you do send. If you cannot make our scheduled live time on the first Saturday of each month, you will be able to listen to the recordings. And you can find recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and, of course, go to voiceamerica.com business channel website. I have my show site there. Uh, also, if you ever need any help with security, privacy, or compliance, uh, keynotes, or anything else, just get in touch with me. So in the meantime, until next month, I urge you to notice and stay aware of information, security, and privacy issues about as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or encounter anything else Involving your personal information. In fact, if you uh, were motivated by our discussion today, get out your pen and paper or get onto your uh, computer and write a letter to your lawmakers and tell them what you think about the need to have strong encryption. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the
0: month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.